You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. I want to I want to just talk about uh, a little bit before we get going this morning in our, on our sermon on Romans chapter 8. I wanted us to think about um, the fact that uh, this is a difficult day uh, for many of us. We'd rather all be here uh, together. And I just want to encourage you um, as, your, as your pastor to, to think about uh, where's your focus uh, right now. We know that from the Word of God, our focus is to be on what we know for sure, on things eternal versus things temporary. I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on the Word of God and what we know there for sure. Uh, what might happen, what might not, what might not happen, uh, no one knows. In fact, you and I don't know that we have tomorrow. And so let us live fully for today, for the Lord. Let us also keep our eyes off of ourselves. Uh, in times like this, we are tempted to Look at our, our own situation and, and forget that there are many around us who are hurting. I just want to encourage you to have your focus first and foremost, of course, on the Lord God, remembering He is on the throne, that He is over all things, and that even through these circumstances, He is building His kingdom. And so let us remember that and keep our eyes on Him and on those around us who are hurting. Uh, I don't think there's anyone who's not been impacted by the of what we've been going through. And yet, you and I, as believers, have the hope in Jesus Christ. Many people in this world right now are hopeless. Many are hurting, and they need answers, and we have that hope. And so, let us be bold with the gospel in these days. And so, let us have our eyes set on things eternal. Let us have our eyes set on the Lord. Let us have our eyes set on the outward. And included in that would be considering how you might spur one another on and encourage one another. Uh, thankful for Jamie and leading the, the, the Redemption Unmasked time there this morning. I uh, was able to glance at it just for a moment there. It looked like you guys were having some fun. and um, We just want to try to uh, keep our eyes on the Lord in these things. And um, I was just thinking this last week, what if the Lord brought a revival as a result of this difficult year that we've had? as everyone's kind of been shaken, as, as the world is understanding that, that things are temporary, what if the Lord brought a revival through these things? Would that not be all worth it? Um, and so just, again, let's keep our eyes on Him. And uh, I want to just encourage you as well, if you have questions of the elders, we'd love to talk to you about any questions that you have. So thankful for the elder team that we have. Uh, literally, I don't know how many hours have been spent this last year wrestling with these things. And, and many of you, uh, even this week uh, with the announcement, uh, told us that you were praying for us. And we're just so thankful for you and your prayers. And as we continue to uh, navigate these circumstances, as we look at the Word of God, uh, we're believing that the Spirit of God is leading us and, uh, and, Lord, and that the Lord is using us. And so thank you uh, for your prayers. And we're praying for you. And again, if you have any questions, we'd love to talk with you. Well, as we think about focusing on the things that we know for sure, Romans 8 is a great place to focus this morning. Let's just review what we have learned already in Romans 1, in just the thir- first 13 verses. 
In the first verse, we find out that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We find out that we have been set free from the law of sin and death, that which we could not ever accomplish, the the law on our own, the flesh uh, preventing us from doing so. We've been set free now from the law of sin and death. Through Christ, now we walk by the Spirit. We now set our minds on the things of the Spirit. As a result of these things, we now have life and peace. And the Spirit of God lives in all believers. How incredible is that? We will one day be resurrected to eternal life. We no longer owe the flesh anything. This is what we looked at last week. The old slave master no longer owns you. You are now owned by a much better master, as we're going to see this week, by a father. And we serve him now. And then last week, as we ended, we talked about the fact that we're at war. We're, we're against the flesh, against the spirit, or sorry, against, against the world, uh, our flesh, and against Satan. And so God has equipped us in that war to fight these enemies by putting to death the deeds of the body through the power of the Spirit. And so if we do these things, we're told at the end of verse 13, we'll live both now and for all of eternity. Well, as we look at verses 14 through 16, again, I'm not, I'm not that uh, smart to kind of navigate things. On this weekend, as we smell, celebrate Mother's Day, and I didn't plan it this way months and months ago, but as we celebrate Mother's Day, we get to find out about this incredible family that we get to be a part of. We are in God's family, the Bible tells us. And we know that we're in God's family by the work of the Spirit. And this is what we're going to be learning this morning. What a great word for us on this day. We may, we may be tempted to be discouraged. We have many things to be encouraged about. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into it. Lord God, we are praying this morning not to some unknown God, but as we're going to read this morning, we pray to you as Abba, Father. Lord, we are in awe of the fact that we get to be called your children. God, would you help these incredible truths be pressed into our hearts today? May we realize the hope that we have in you. God, I pray, Lord, on this Mother's Day, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be good children. Lord, as we think about that, we think about um, the earthly moms that you have given us. Lord, we're so thankful for them. God, would you bless them? Would you encourage them this day? Lord, for those who have godly moms, God, would you, would you just encourage them to, to continue to cling to you, to, to walk in your ways and grow, in, grow them in your ways? Lord, for, for moms today who do not know you, God, we're praying, Lord, even this year, this month, this week, God, would you open their eyes to see that you are a good, loving, heavenly Father, and you have made a way that they might be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. God, we would pray for their salvation even this day. And Lord, as we think about this morning, the fact that 
Everyone who is in Jesus Christ is your child. God, we pray that you would find us to be children who reflect a good heavenly Father to this lost and dying world. God, we are so thankful that you've given us your word to reveal to us your truth, that we might know you more. Would you lead us now by your spirit? In your name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, and uh, just to set the context, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8, and again, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Let me read. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This morning, as we look at the text, we're going to see that if I'm in God's family, God's Spirit produces three things. The first thing that we see that God's Spirit produces is family affinity. Family affinity. If I am truly in God's family, then I will look like my father. Again, on this Mother's Day, we're reminded that parents have an incredible impact on us. We tend to think like them, talk like them, and of course, we even look like them. That does not mean that you will carry all the qualities of your parents. You may not carry all the positive qualities, or Lord willing, you will not carry all the negative qualities of your parents. But the impact that a parent has is unmistakable. And oftentimes, somebody could look at the child and say, oh, that's so-and-so's child, just based on their actions and what they, what they look like. So it is, so it should be, for all of those who are God's children. We should look like the Father. Let's look again at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all. It's an inclusive statement that is for all people that the following can be said about. In other words, what he's about to say, all who do these things are, as we see at the end, are sons of God. Now, again, is there any time we see the word for, we have to under, understand the context. And as we look back at the immediate context, we see in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is really important that we don't kind of start a whole new line of thinking when we get to verse 14. We see that he's continuing his line of thinking. In other words, those who put the, to death the deeds of the body are those who are led by the Spirit. And those who are, uh, are sons of God are those who live. This is true of all who are led by the Spirit of God. It's important to note that there is no exemption or a special category for other believers. This is true of all believers. We will see a pattern in our lives of killing sin. 
So, again, let's just be reminded of what we talked about last week. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, I will see myself warring against the flesh, against the world, and against Satan. I will see myself putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, to be led by the Spirit, of course, is more than just to put to death the deeds of the body. But as we look at the context here, we see that this is very specific, very important, that we need to be not apathetic about these things, but proactive as the Spirit of God leads us. Anytime temptation comes, He is enabling us, He is leading us to fight that temptation. As 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overcome you. It is not common to man, but God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Anytime temptation comes, what? God is there. He is helping you. Look again at that verse, 1 Corinthians Corinthians 10, 13. Let me just point out again. It says, who will provide the way of escape? God will. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, and he will provide the way of escape. So we look to him. Those who are children of God, what? They put to death the deeds of the body. Of course, the reverse is true. If you're not led by the Spirit, you cannot put to death the deeds of the body, nor will you have the desire to do so. If you are enslaved in your sin and your lifestyle is one marked by rebellion against the ways of the Lord, then you are not a child of God. The phrase led by the Spirit is not open to interpretation as some do today. You stop and think about it. How many crazy things are people saying about, well, the Spirit led me to do these things? Can I just say a word of warning this morning? When we want to understand whether the Spirit is truly leading, we should be able to look at whether the Word of God says that the Spirit of God would lead in such a way. The Bible tells us that if we are led by the Spirit, one of the primary ways that we'll know that we're being led by the Spirit is that we are putting to death the deeds of the body. It shows that we are sons of God. The children of God hate sin as much as God hates sin. We trust that his word is good and that his ways are better and that his ways are higher than our ways. When we follow the leading of the Spirit, we're led into holiness. The verb here is in the present tense, which reminds us that this, this leading of the Spirit is something that is continual, habitual, daily, and that we ought to follow his leading. As we think about the way that the Spirit leads, there there is a marked change in our life from our previous life without Christ. Before Christ, we would walk in the flesh. We would do the things of the flesh. That was what came natural to us. And there, as we look at, we'll look at in just a moment in Galatians 5, there were many things that marked our life. But if you are in Christ, if you are filled with the Spirit, then you will do what the Father does. You will look like your Father. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, I want us just to look at verses 16 through 25 this morning. This is really an important parallel passage to what we're talking about in Romans chapter 8. Picking up at verse 16, 
he says this, but I say walk by the Spirit. Now, just a note here, to walk by the Spirit is the same thing as being led by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, the parallel to Romans chapter 8, you will put to death the deeds of the body. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he gives us this list. Now the works of the flesh are evident. What are they? Things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, unfortunately, this isn't the whole list. And we understand anytime we walk in selfishness, we're walking according to the flesh. And Paul warns us here, he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. To walk a life of sin, to live in the flesh, is to not be a child of God. But if you are a child of God, then you will be led by the Spirit, and you will walk by the Spirit, and you will see these things in your life. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, have put to death the deeds of the body with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Our belonging to God, he talks about here in Galatians 6, is what he's saying in Romans chapter 8. We are children of God. We are now in his family, and we ought to look like the Father. The Father is holy, and if we are to be like him, we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh, but we will walk by the power of the Spirit. Sometimes you hear it said that we're all God's children. Well, we've all been created by the great creator, but we're not all God's children. It is only those who are in Jesus Christ who are God's children. And we need to remember that and see that as we look at the text here this morning. Guzik says this, where does the Holy Spirit lead us? Lead us? He leads us to repentance. He leads us to think little of self and much of Jesus. He leads us into truth. He leads us into love. He leads us into his holiness. He leads us into usefulness. This is what it ought to, our lives ought to look like as children of God, that we are continually being led by the Spirit, that we're continually becoming more and more like our Father. If there is no killing of sin, no holiness, no affections for the things of the Lord, you should be concerned. God's children look like Him in their actions and words and desires. If there is no family resemblance, then whose kid are you? Piper says this, 
He does not get you to kill sin by making you a slave who acts out of fear, but by making you a son who acts out of faith and affection, as we're going to see in this next verse. Praise God that if you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, you will look more and more like your Father as you submit to His leading. That's great news this morning. So, if I'm in God's family, I'm going to look like the Father. I'm going to have family affinity. Secondly, God's Spirit produces family access. Family access. In becoming a child of God, you have been changed from who you once were. And as a result, there are two new amazing realities. Those two amazing realities, first, the first one is this, full immunity. Full immunity. All right, so anybody ever hear of the show Survivor? Okay, see a few nods. Nobody on, on camera, apparently. Okay, everyone's heard of probably their show Survivor, okay? Right, I remember I was in Africa in 99. That's when the show started, September 99. I came back in like February of 2000, and everybody was talking about this show, Survivor. And, um, and, and it was this new genre called reality TV, okay? So it's been a while, okay? This show's been on that long. And the whole premise of the show is that you got to try to get along and you got to try to manage your way through the show so that you're the last person standing, so to speak. And what happens in the show is if things aren't going well, you can get voted off. Now, a twist of the show is that you can have a thing called an immunity idol, right? You can win those, your tribe can win them, and then you have the individual thing, but they also had a as the years went on, they're like, okay, we got to kind of mix it up a little bit. They started hiding these things in the jungle. Well, again, as the show has continued to evolve, some people started thinking, wait a minute, even if I can't find one, maybe I can make one. And I, I, you know, what do they call it? They call it a false immunity idol. And so they, they show everyone on the tribe, yeah, I got, I got one of these. Don't try voting me off, right? Well, what inevitably happens? At some point, they have to go before the judge, before the host of the show, Jeff Prost, right? And as he goes before him, he will tell them whether that immunity idol is false or whether it's true, right? If it's false, what? There's no protection for them. No protection for them. And as I was thinking about our being in Christ how we have full immunity. I was also thinking about how many false immunity idols people wear in this world. So many people think, hey, if I just, I'm a really good person, I do a lot of good things. If there is a God, I'm sure that this little necklace of my good works is going to get me into heaven. But as they stand before the judge, guess what? They're going to hear that's a false immunity idol. You cannot come into the kingdom. Others, choose religion. If I just follow all the religious ideas, if I'm just a, a good person according to my religion and do the do's I'm supposed to do and don't do the don'ts I'm not supposed to do, then if I do enough, I'm sure I will get into heaven. And again, one day, every one of us are going to stand before God. And he will tell you that your religion cannot save you. 
And then there are some who just think ignorance is bliss. I'm just going to pretend there is no God, and then if there is, I'll work it out in the next life. But Hebrews 9, 27 says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, what? Comes the judgment. There is no such thing as purgatory. There is no such thing as a, another second try. What we do in this life matters, and if you do not know Christ, then you do not have full immunity. It is only by his sacrifice that our sins might be forgiven. And if you do not have Christ, if you not placed your faith in him, then your sins remain on you and you must pay the price for your sin. But if you're in Christ, listen to what verse 15 says. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Received the adoption as sons. Before Christ, as we've been going through Romans 1 up to this point, we've seen that we were slaves to our sin. We, we seen the law and we knew that we were guilty. Just consider the Ten Commandments. There's no one on this earth who can claim that they have not broken the Ten Commandments. Every single one of us have broken the Ten Commandments. If we doubt that, we just need to read Matthew 5 through 7 to get a full picture of what that looked like. looks like. All of us have fallen short. And as a result, we were in fear. Fear of judgment to come. Fear of the wrath of God coming upon us. That was who we were. We were unable to fulfill the law. If you doubt that, read the Old Testament. God says to Israel, here's the law, I want you to follow it. And what do they do? They fail over and over and over again until they are exiled. Only through Christ can we be forgiven. Only through Christ can we fulfill the law. And it is through Christ that we now have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. When we were slaves, we knew, and even, even this morning, if you're watching and you don't know Christ, in the still moments when you allow yourself to think, you know you're guilty before him. There is fear of the judgment coming. I want to tell you this morning, you do not need to fear anymore if you would place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He would adopt you and make you his own and give you his spirit and make you his, a son. It's incredible. You have been adopted. You are no longer under condemnation if you're in Christ this morning. You're no longer under slavery. You have been adopted by the Lord God. We think about things like adoption. We need to guard against 21, 21st century thinking of adoption and get back to, okay, what did they understand when they understood the word adoption? F.S. Bruce is, is helpful. He says, in the Roman world of the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by a, his adopted father to perpetuate, perpetuate his name and his, in, inherit his estate. When we look at next week, verse 17, we're going to see that we're heirs of God. 
He was in no way in fear, not in the smallest degree, in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature, and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. In other words, full rights as a child of God, able to inherit all that he has for us. We no longer fear condemnation. We have been adopted, and so as we stand before the judgment seat, he will see you as his child. And as his child, you will enjoy full immunity, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only not condemned, but viewed as righteous as a result of Christ's perfect righteousness given to you and I. Listen to what 1 John 4, 18 says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We do not need to fear torment. We do not need to fear punishment and death. We have immunity in Christ. We are no longer an enemy. We are a child of God. He has adopted us, which leads us to another reality of our family access. We have full intimacy. Not only do we have full immunity, we will no longer be condemned, but we have full intimacy. He says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How incredible is this statement. We who were slaves of sin without hope and destined for eternal death as a result of our sins have been adopted by God. Why? Because you are worthy? Because you are good in some way? Well, the Bible reminds us that it has nothing to do with us. We are only the benefactors. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 says this, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why did he adopt us? Because he's a God of love. Because he's a God of grace. He looked down and chose you and I who were clothed in filthy rags, filthy rags of sin. As we shook our fists at him, he looked down and he adopted us as his children. Thomas Watson writes this, adoption is a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. God has made us his children by adoption, nearer to himself than the angels. The angels are the friends of Christ. Believers are his members. Since God has, has a son of his own and such a son, how wonderful God's love in adopting us. We needed a father, but he did not need sons. How good is God? How gracious is he? I love what the Westminster Confession highlights in regards to adoption. As a result of our being adopted, we get to enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. We have his name put upon us. 
we receive the spirit of adoption, having access to the throne of grace with boldness. And we are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. We who are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. There are many things uncertain in this world, but if you are a child of God this morning, listen to the riches that you have in him. It says here in this verse, it's by the Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. We are not in a family that has an absentee father. We have a father that we can come to and cry out to at any time of the day. He hears us when we call. Notice the intimate terms that Paul uses, Abba, Father. The word Abba was used of children as well as son, adult sons and daughters. We use this term, Abba, we think of the, it conveys a warm, intimate sense. Today it would be likened to words like Daddy, Papa. And so we come to him. The Spirit enables us to speak intimately and trustingly with the Lord God as we come in prayer. What an awesome reality this morning for all of us who believe. As your head spins with all that you're facing each day, what a privilege to know that we can cry out, Abba, Father, and baby, he will hear you. You are his child, and he will care for you as a good father cares for his child. Only this father, he never makes mistakes. This father never breaks a promise. This father never fails in any way. He is always good. He is always faithful. And so when you're discouraged, cry out to him. When you're frustrated, cry out to him. When you're in despair, cry out to him. When you're in wonder if things will ever change, cry out to him, Abba, Father. When you stumble and fall, cry out to him. When you're tempted, cry out to him, Abba, Father. When you do well, when you see victories in your life, when you see the fruit of the Spirit, cry out to him, Abba, Father. As you do, remember who your Father is. He's not only loving, he's not only caring, but he is powerful. I love how Spurgeon put it. The great God, the maker of heaven and earth, is my Father. And I dare avow it without fear that he will disown this kindred. The thunderer, the ruler of the stormy sea, is my Father. And notwithstanding the terror of his power, I draw near to him in love. He who is the destroyer, who says, return your children of men, is my father. And I am not alarmed at the thought that he will call me to, my, to himself in due time. My God, you who shall call the multitudes of the slain from their graves to live, I look forward with joy to the hour when you shall call and I shall answer you. Do what you will with me. You are my Father. What an awesome thought this morning. 
to know that we have a loving heavenly Father who is at the same time Creator God, the great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, and He is your Father. As you're maybe discouraged today, as maybe your focus has been off the Lord and onto many other things, cry out to Him. He understands and He loves you. Consider the incredible truths of who God is and then proclaim, He is my Father. I know Him and He loves me and He has made me His own. The last incredible truth, if I am in God's family, God's Spirit produces family assurance. Family assurance. He says in verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As we cry out, as again, if we look back again at verse 15, how is it that we cry out? By Him, by the Spirit. It's by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit that we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. Stott says this, it is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The words are ours, but the witness is His. This verse further explains how, this, how it is through the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Now, if we're being honest, there's a bit of mystery here. How does this all work? How is it that, that the Spirit of God speaks to our spirit and assures us that, our, that, assures us that we are children of God and that that results in praise coming from a heart that has been moved by the Spirit? A parallel passage to this is in Romans 5, 5. There we read that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Spirit moves our hearts and we know that he loves us and in turn we love him. Here we are sure that we are his children and in turn we cry out, Abba, Father. This witness is given to all believers To bear witness is to provide credible supporting evidence to one's case by giving testimony or by testifying, to to show to be true, to give evidence in support of. And the Spirit does this continually. I think all of us, if we're being honest at times, we'll we'll stop and say, am I really saved? Am I really a child of God? Am I I really going to, to, to see Him one day? And be in glory with him. And so God has given us his spirit to to help us in times when we lack assurance of salvation. Winslow says this. The very stupendous, really incredibleness, we'll use that. The incredibleness of the relationship staggers our belief. To be fully assured of our divine adoption demands other than the testimony either of our own feelings or the opinion of men. Our feelings, sometimes excited and visionary, may mislead. The opinion of others, often fond and partial, may deceive us. The grand, the divine, and only safe testimony is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit. You understand what he's saying there? If it was just left up to me, 
Jeremiah 17, 9 tells me that my heart is deceitful above all else. I, I could fool myself into thinking that I was okay. If it was just about fooling the people around me and, and, and th- getting their testimony, they may affirm that I am in Christ. But I needed something more than that. I need the Holy Spirit to speak to my spirit to give me assurance. How is the Spirit's witness manifested? Olshausen says this, his comforting, it's in his comforting us, his stirring us up to prayer, his reproof of our sins, his drawing us to works of love to bear testimony before the world. On this direct testimony of the Holy Spirit rests, ultimately, all the regenerate man's conviction respecting Christ and his work. As I think about what he's saying there, I, I think we can break it down to two things. When the Spirit testifies, we're going to see both an objective reality and a subjective experience. In other words, we should see a change in our lives, and those around us should see a change in our lives. That would be the objective reality. As, our, as the Spirit testifies to our spirit, the inward work re- results in an outward manifestation. That, as we think about the objective reality... 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creation. The old things have passed away, new things have come. And so we should see a changed life. We should see a desire for holiness and righteousness. In other words, you want to live a life that is pleasing to the Father. We should see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, love, self-control. These should be the things that mark our lives rather than the old works of the flesh. We should have a genuine love for God and for people. Self is no longer the most important thing in our lives. We should see progress in sanctification. Listen, I get it. No one is perfect, but we should be continually changing. Sometimes that change is slow, but over the months, over the years, we should be looking more and more like our Father. When we sin, we should feel the discipline of God in our lives because God disciplines those whom He loves. He encourages us through these things to pursue repentance in holiness. And so there should be some objective reality seen as a result of the Spirit's work in our lives. But there also should be a subjective experience. This one is a little bit more difficult to explain. It's subjective, right? Some godly folks like Lori Jones emphasize this more than I think is more than warranted. But I do you think that this ought to be a part of every Christian experience as a believer? Your emotions, your, your, your spirit ought to be moved as a result of your relationship with the Lord. There are times in your life where the love and comf- comfort of God in your life are real in a very subjective way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had those times in your life where you, you can't explain it, but you just knew that God was close I've been, as I look back on my life as I'm 
getting closer to 40 years of life in Christ, there are some times that just stick out in my mind where God's Spirit spoke to my spirit. I don't know how else to describe that. I remember when we were at the hospital not knowing whether Hope was going to live or not. After receiving the news from the doc that caused me to wonder whether Hope was going to live or not, I, I remember just going back into the hospital room and, and, and just saying, God, I need to hear from you. I cried out, Abba, Father, I need to hear from you. And I remember turning to Psalm 25, and I, I don't even, again, I don't know, even really know how to describe it, but it was as if, as I read those words, it was coming from my spirit to him. And as I read, he reminded me of the importance of placing my trust in the Lord, and that those who put their trust in him would never be put to shame. I needed to hear that at that moment. From Abba, Father. I didn't know whether hope would live through the night or not, but I was reminded that my God cares and that I could trust him. Two days later, when we learned that hope had suffered a brain injury, the Spirit again bore witness with my spirit, and he led me to Lamentations 3, 21 to 26. There he reminded me that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That his mercies never come to an end. That his faithfulness is great. And that his mercies are new every morning. And he's good to all who wait on him. I needed those words. I needed to know that God was with me. And I just want to encourage you this morning, as we cry out to him, he is such a personal, loving God. He will speak to you through his word. He is so good. As we think about how his spirit bears witness to our spirit, I think that we should see both the objective reality and the subjective experience in our lives. If you just have the objective reality, but you do not have any affection, that is a concern. If you find yourself with a hard heart and little love, then be warned that you may be more of a Pharisee than a child of God. You may have a, a good life, you may have a moral life, but if you have no affection towards God, then you may not be a child of God. And if you only have affection and subjective experience, but no life change and no fruit in your life, then again, be warned what Jeremiah 17, 9 says, that the heart is deceitful. Do not think that you can be okay with the Father and walk in sin over and over again. You need to have both the objective reality of a changed life and the subjective experience of the Spirit speaking to your spirit, affirming that you are a son of God, a child of God. This morning, are you in God's family? Have you entered through the blood of Jesus Christ, having placed your faith in him and his atoning work? How do I know for sure if I'm in God's family?
Do you have family affinity? Do you look like your father? Do you love what he loves? Do you walk in his ways? Do you have family access? Have you been rescued by your slavery to sin and been adopted by God so that you no longer fear punishment, knowing that you're a child of his? Do you have full intimacy with the Lord? Do you cry out, Abba, Father? And then lastly, do you have family assurance? Do you see the objective reality? Do you feel the subjective experience that you are his child? On this day when we can be tempted to despair, let us rejoice. God is a good father, and we are his children, and no one and nothing can ever change that. Let me pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for this time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for these awesome realities. Who are we that we could be called children of God? And yet we are because Jesus Christ has come, lived the perfect life, died for our sins, and rose again on the third day. Whoever would place their faith in him, Lord, you have called us your children. Lord, you have given us your spirit to testify to these things. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you know exactly what we need. And this morning, as we think about that, Lord, we're so thankful that your spirit is still leading and guiding us today. Lord, help us to bring honor and glory to you as your children. As we go through this week, Lord, may it be evident that we are different than the world because we are your kids. Lord, when we are downhearted, when we are discouraged, Lord, thank you that we can cry out. I have a Father and you hear us and you care for us and you're helping us through these days. And Lord, I just think of this morning someone who is still in fear of judgment. God, may they see, Lord, you have made a way that we might be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Lord, help them to reach out to a believer. Help them to reach out to us. If they do not know a believer, Lord, help them to reach out to Redemption Church. God, we, we just want to see lost people saved for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we thank you for this encouraging word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.